KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, February 2nd. The Omicron surge subsiding. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 2,000 new COVID-19 cases on Tuesday and 24 additional deaths. San Diego is close to surpassing 700,000 total COVID-19 cases over the course of the pandemic. But the number of COVID-positive patients in San Diego County hospitals continues to drop, decreasing by 22 people. The head of the Navy's Third Fleet has decided not to disclose a hearing officer's decision in the arson case of a sailor accused of setting fire to the USS Bonhomme Richard. The commander wants to first decide whether or not seaman apprentice Ryan Mays should be court-martialed. Robert Muth with the Veterans Legal Clinic says this is something peculiar to military justice. A commander would want to be able to have the power to ensure that his his troops are behaving in the his or her um, intended fashion. However, of course, the, the cons to that is you have someone who is not legally trained, who is making a very sometimes complicated decision. California figures prominently in the upcoming nomination to fill Stephen Breyer's seat on the Supreme Court. State Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger is on President Joe Biden's shortlist, and California U.S. Senator Alex Padilla sits on the Judiciary Committee, which will question the nominee. Padilla told CAP Radio Insight host Vicky Gonzalez why this pick is so consequential. On the front burner right now, a woman's right to choose. You know, on the front burner right now, the uh, fundamental right to vote, you know, on the front burner right now, our ability to to act on some of the most urgent items in uh, the country. Biden says he'll announce his pick by the end of February. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. After being slammed with COVID patients for weeks, Scripps health experts say their computer models now show the Omicron surge is slowly trending downward. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado spoke with the hospital's president on what this means for their staff and the community. Their computer modeling shows the current surge of COVID-related hospitalizations should wind down by early March. COVID admissions at their five hospitals peaked two weeks ago. Before the um, Omicron surge hit us, we were down to about 78 you know, COVID patients in the hospital. 
and we ultimately spiked at about 356 COVID patients. Including 60 in the ICU. That's over five times higher than before the holidays. Scripps president and CEO Chris Van Gorder says their hospitals will remain busy. Our hospital census is still very, very high. We're very busy in the emergency rooms. We're very busy in the hospital. And so we're still going to have staffing challenges like every industry is having probably for the next year or so. The hospital and healthcare system has been using modeling since 2020 with over a 90 percent accuracy rate. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. San Diego city officials are taking action against a homeless encampment along Sports Arena Boulevard. They say the living conditions there are a health threat. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman was there on Tuesday as the cleanup started. City crews are cleaning up the Sports Arena homeless encampment, similar to what they do downtown. Down on 12th and Imperial area, they, they do it all the time, like every, like, I think they do it twice a week. I think. And um, out here, we're not used to doing it at all, like at all. Rachel Kolzak stays in the encampment. She used to sleep downtown, so she's used to garbage trucks coming to haul away belongings. But she says it never gets easier. I'm tired as hell right now. I'm so tired. Like, I've been running back and forth helping, like, 20 different people. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria ordered the cleanup. He says there is drug use, crime, and conditions here are unsanitary. He says action is being taken to stop a full-blown crisis. To ignore that would be to, to consign those very vulnerable, very sick people uh, to an existence that really puts them at risk. I'm not willing to do that. Others may want to choose to do that. It won't happen on my watch. This was day one of the cleanup. The city estimates there are about 180 people living inside the encampment. In the month leading up to the sweeps, outreach workers have been trying to connect people to services. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. The San Diego History Center's exhibit celebrates San Diego Black history and heritage, showcases a rich history of Black San Diego with fine art, profiles of San Diego's Black heroes, and a timeline that walks you through the past that helped shape America's finest city and the region. Shelby Gordon is the marketing manager at the San Diego History Center. KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman spoke with Gordon about the exhibit. So what can people see and learn from this exhibit? Well, you know, I'm a San Diego native, born and raised here, and San Diego Black history was nothing that I was taught in school. A lot of it is what I lived um, and what I heard through familial and, and friend relationships. But the exhibition really gives you a tangible, visual, graphic understanding of how complex, how deep, how interesting and how elevating the history of Black San Diego is. And there's also donated ephemera and fine art included in the exhibit. Why are these pieces so important to sharing the history of Black San Diego? Well, because I think you want for it to be multidimensional. You want for it to reflect politics, education, religion, the arts and culture, um, regarding family relationships and business relationships, social justice, and local political activities. So you want for, we want it for this to really reflect all of that. So for example, a local San Diego artist, um, Duke Windsor, has donated two of his paintings 
But then we have really unusual things like we have the program of Bethel AME for their 100th anniversary. Now, you know, for our Black church, anniversaries are big and anniversary programs are even bigger. So for them to have donated to that to us and for us to be able to showcase that in the exhibition is really big. We also have um, an Olympic participation banner from Jackie Thompson. Jackie Thompson grew up in San Diego. She was the first Black female Olympian to participate in the Olympics. She ran in the Munich Olympics. So it's those kinds of pieces that thankfully people think, I want this to be a part of a permanent collection. I want for my experience as a Black San Diegan to be part of Black San Diego history, but also San Diego history. And there is a timeline featured in this exhibit. How much time is, is actually covered? It starts in 1798 with a Spanish colonial census document. So it starts there. It goes through 1820 with um, Don Pio Pica being the the last governor of California. He was of African-American descent. Then it goes through issues of school segregation, of social justice protests in downtown San Diego, of the establishment of organizations like the Urban League and the NAACP. It documents the day that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech at what is now known as Point Loma Nazarene, was then known as California Western University. So that's May 29th, 1964 all the way to the date in 2010, when San Diego, the San Diego chapter of Black Lives Matter was formed. So you see just the scope of hundreds of years, multiple decades, how San Diego's population has grown, how they've evolved and formed organizations and advocacy groups, how they've advocated for equal housing, equal employment, equal schooling. You know, San Diego is your hometown. Are there any parts of the community that you lived in or or maybe even your own family featured in the exhibit? Um, it's funny you should ask. Um, I was working with a partner and she specifically asked me, she said, Shelby, can you pull a, a photo of a choir, a Black church choir? Um, I want to use that in, in my uh, project. And so, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, I just see a picture on our digital site. You can research photos on, on from our website. So I found a photo and I, I just happened to be looking at the, at the caption and I see the name Joy Gordon. And it was my aunt. It was Nani, right? And I was just shocked. I showed it to my dad, of course, and he goes, he could tell me, I remember the day that that photo was taken. And I remember Mr. Baynard and yes, you know, Aunt Joy sang in the choir for years and she directed the choir. And and it was interesting because that was last February and Nani passed well into her 90s that March. So it was really heartwarming and it really sort of, grounded me, I'm going to say, in my San Diego-ness, that um, 
my family has a history here that we have been involved and participating and contributing and uh, partnering and friending uh, folks for many decades. I often say San Diego is a small town in a big city and Black San Diego is even smaller. Black San Diego is a small tight-knit community and it's really a great joy and pleasure to have the opportunity to have that very rich history cataloged and archived at the Historical Society. And just imagine how many people that uh, pride and sense of belonging oh is extended to through this uh, exhibition. I mean, you know, if, if people want to contribute, um, you know, pictures, memories, stories, community sourced milestones, are they still able to do that? And if so, Absolutely. how can they do that? This exhibition is very different for us. One, it is primarily community sourced, but two, it doesn't have an end date. So if folks go on our website, sandiegohistory.org, um, and if they go to uh, current exhibitions and then they click on celebrate, there are forms there where they can share their story, upload their photo, and history is very personal and people want their history heard they want it shared, and they want it archived. That was Shelby Gordon speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman about the San Diego History Center's new exhibit, Celebrate San Diego, Black History and Heritage. The exhibit is on display at the San Diego History Center in Balboa Park, and the timeline can be found on the History Center's website. Coming up on the podcast... I would come back and just sit downstairs on the benches um, when I was feeling a little squirrely or, or having a lot of cravings. Um, so this place has a, just a feeling and they, they call it like the, there's a miracle here that happens. The story of addiction, relapse and recovery for some in San Diego's LGBTQ community. That's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. A rehab center in City Heights called Stepping Stones provides a pathway to recovery, specifically for LGBTQ individuals struggling with alcohol and substance abuse. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer tells us more, and we want to warn you, some of the stories he found there are difficult to hear. Joey Johnson says he started messing with drugs when he was 16. And, you know, I found meth really, you know, pretty easily. Johnson says the drugs helped to soothe his internalized pain about his sexual orientation. I think a major reason that I've come to learn why I chose to, you know, escape, so to speak, um, and use drugs and alcohol was because I've never necessarily been comfortable with the fact that I'm a gay man. I've always been in the closet. Growing up, I, I wasn't comfortable in high school coming out. I pretty much, to be honest, I 
pretty much hated the person that I was. That's where Stepping Stone comes in. The recovery center first opened its doors in City Heights in 1976 and hasn't stopped serving the queer community since then, even through an ongoing pandemic. Stepping Stone outpatient director Pam Highfield says the rehab facility has come a long way from its humble roots. So they got together, they formed a nonprofit, um, and it got the property. It was at the time four or six little cottages here. And we, that's how we got kicked off, that's how we started. And then over the years, it's continued to grow. Highfield says the nonprofit organization is the only one in the region that specializes in the LGBTQ community. A lot of places turn to us when dealing with issues related to the LGBTQ community. Um, we do a lot with transgenders. That's been out the gate. So that's, that's of course, every place has to now, but back in the day, um, the other facilities didn't know what, what do they do, right? And we would bring them in here and incorporate them into our population. And For graduates of Stepping Stone's residential program in City Heights, the organization also offers a sober living program. Johnson began that process recently. The 32-year-old has been to a couple of different rehab facilities and relapsed more than once, but he says he felt understood at Stepping Stone, unlike at other treatment centers. You know, making bad choices and using drugs has constantly led me to homelessness and, um, you know, selling my body, um, ending up in the hospital more times than I'd want, you know, for numerous reasons. Um, so, yeah, I pretty much lost my way. This was the one place that I, I felt a special closeness to people um, that no one, nowhere else could really provide. Chris Miller is the organization's director of programs, but he was once a client and says Stepping Stone saved his life. 23 years ago, I went through a Stepping Stone outpatient. Um, I've been clean and sober since then. Miller says many people still misunderstand substance abuse and how it affects the LGBTQ community. He says many clients feel a sense of shame when reaching out for help. You no, know, there's, you know, stigma of the addiction. There's, you know, stigma of being gay and lesbian not accepted in the uh, community. Uh, transgender, we serve transgender clients. Um, some of the individuals are HIV positive, so there's um, stigma associated with that. Joe Westcott is the lead counselor at Stepping Stone's outpatient facility in North Park. But back in 2017, he was a client too. We, we tackle the reasons why they use. It's in, in majority of our clients are um, meth users and there's a lot of dr um, drug sex links that we have to work through and this is just a safe place for them and myself to do that. For Westcott, the best part of the center was, and still is, the community it offers. Initially when I left here, I, I would come back and just sit downstairs on the benches. Um, when I was feeling a little squirrely or, or having a lot of cravings. Um, so this place has, um, is, it has just a feeling and they, they call it like the, there's a miracle here that happens. For clients who have attended different stepping stone programs over the years, Miller says the journey often comes full circle, like it did for himself and Westcott. They work for the organization that provided them sobriety to help the Stepping Stone community further grow, and with it, guide others like Johnson to follow similar pathways to recovery. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News.
That's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.